Welcome to the Men Talk Ubuntu podcast. Our guest this episode is Julian Chapman, an extended scope physiotherapist and first contact practitioner at Connect Health. Years of dedicated study and developing his leadership abilities have allowed him to contribute positively to his field, his clients, and his community. A mighty Manchester man who pulls no punches when it comes to supporting others and standing up for his beliefs. Julian, it's a pleasure to have you here. Please tell us about your story and journey. Well, first and foremost, thank you for having me, guys. Thank you for the, um, the invite. And um, thank you, listeners, for, for listening. Um, so, yeah, my, my story kind of began in 1982 in Manchester, um, where I still reside. I'm a bit of a homeboy. I've not really kind of moved away too much. Um, so, yeah, a brilliant mother, brilliant father, um, older sister, two younger brothers, um, based in South Manchester. So as a child, um, parents always pushed education really strongly. Um, my, my dad literally worked every hour God sends um, to put us through school. Um, and my mum was a stay-at-home mum, so we were really blessed to have that stable, stable um, home life. Um, and it was all about church first and foremost, God first and foremost, and then education and then fun, literally in, in that order. Um, so yeah, I went to, went to primary school, um mom always pushed on kind of doing well in exams doing the best that you can um, it was always get to secondary school then it was GCSEs um I wanted to do football as you can imagine young black boy with lots of energy um, loads of friends and I just wanted to to play but it was kind of always you know get your studies done and then when you finish your studies then you can go and play um, so I thought my life kind of begun after my GCSEs, because that was always the, the kind of the point that I was trying to get to, only to find out that after GCSEs, you have A-levels, then you have university, then you have a real job, then you have to progress in that field as, as well. Um, so that was pretty much my, my, my childhood. Mm -hmm. um, Career-wise, um, first and foremost, I wanted to be a vet. I was really into to animals. Um, we had a fish that develops an ulcer. My mom took it to the vets and I was really interested into how this fish could have ultimately got better, but that never happened. Fish with ulcers don't tend to get veterinary services. They tend to get flushed down the toilet. <laughs> so um, that, that's what happened. My mom went to the veterinary surgery and came back empty handed, um, but that sparked my interest in, in veterinary science, basically. So around, around the age of 16, 17, went to do my um, kind of induction in the, in the veterinary surgery to see if I was going to be interested in the profession or not. And to be fair, I was more interested in the rehabilitation of the animals post-surgery. Um, so there was a, I think it was an Alsatian or a Wattweiler that had a um, dislocated knee and it ruptured its cruciate ligaments. Same thing the footballers do. Um, horrible injury, basically when you're running, your, your fibula, um, sorry, your tibia will um, shift on your femur and it will pop your, your cruciate ligament yeah, it's not nice. So it's like it's about a six-month rehab, six to eight-month rehab for, for sports people. And for um, obviously for animals, it's a different type of rehab. And I was more interested in that. I was asking all the questions around the rehab, about the surgery that was going to take place. And then the vet basically said to me, I think you, you want to be a, a physiotherapist or an animal physiotherapist. And that's what sent me in that direction to where I am, where I am now. 
So um, I kind of stuck with with the humans rather than going back to to the animals. Um, and then it was just a case of having a bit of a focus then looking on where, what, what um, studies I need to do, what subjects I need to pick. Um, and that was English language lit, which isn't a science really. It was um, geography and it was biology. So I took like a little bit of a different route into physiotherapy, where it was traditionally you'd be wanting possibly physics, biology, and chemistry, those kind of core sciences. But that wasn't that wasn't my my journey. And that's that's the main thing that I've seen with myself and with my life, um, and what everyone else should kind of aspire to is your own specific journey. Uh, my journey, in my head would have been I'm a vet. I've watched all the um, veterinary programs on television, all the wildlife from ones I was interested in animals. But yet here I am as a, as a physiotherapist. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of drilled into me a little bit when I was younger as well, making sure you focus on your journey in your lane to get where you need to go for you and for your own self-development and your self-fulfillment ultimately. Um, so, yeah, that, that was it up until A-levels and, and university and time. At university, um, did my exams, did really well in them. Um, again, stayed in Manchester. It was this Manchester School of Physiotherapy where I was meant to study. Um, but there was a massive intake of students at that time. Um, I think it was around about 2003, 2004, like loads. We had the biggest intake in, in Manchester in the whole of Europe. So there wasn't a space for me there and then um, for, on the course when I initially applied. Got the results and they said, well, I'll tell you what, go through clearing and come, come back next year because your results are good enough, but there's too many. There's too many for this year. So my mum kind of said, no, no, we don't want any gap here. We want you to keep on studying. We don't want any gaps. You go and get your, your degree. You get what you need to get. And then afterwards, just like with the GCS, GCSEs, after you've done that, then relax, then go and play football, then go and do whatever, but get your, your certification first and foremost. So I remember it quite vividly. On the day I got the re results, we went down early um, to school. And then um, we contacted the School of Physiotherapy and they said, well, you know, um, maybe, maybe next year, but definitely next year, so you can have a gap year. Mum said, no, we're going to go down to the office. So she kind of frog marched me down to the dean's office. So I remember the lady, she called her Catherine Heathcote, um, and she was the lady who was under admissions. And my mum kind of said, well, he's got his grades. He would really like to come this year. He's, he's a Manchester lad, so it's not going to be difficult for him to get to uni. We'll make sure he does all his, um, he attends all his lessons. Please consider him. And then, thank God, about a week later, they said, yeah, you can, you can come and join the course. So that was me starting at physio. Yeah, that was me starting physiotherapy at Manchester um, from there. So, yeah, that's, that's my journey into physiotherapy. Um, once there, it was a bit of a culture shock. Um, I was at an inner city, good, good inner city school in, in central Manchester. Um, I had a really good socioeconomic mix. Um, people from all different races, religions, um, central Manchester. So again, it was home for me and it, it helped you adapt to different people. It helped you to see where different people were coming from whilst all studying together and all developing at different levels and at different speeds. But it, it was like a microcosm of society. So that was, that was nice. It was, it was a nice environment. Um, everyone used to say fit uni is like the best years of your life or you become who you are. It's amazing. When I got there, it was a completely different kettle of fish. It was like I was the only black British um, boy there. Um, and that was around a lot of white um, middle-class women 
lovely, lovely people. I've gone with well, really gone really well with them. But as in regards to culture and what I was used to at school, this was this was completely out of my comfort zone. Um, so that was a bit of a, a bit of a shock. So university was kind of a mix of getting used to that side of thing and the, and the professional world, as well as the challenges you might face there, as well as remembering what you had before. Um, so that was a bit of a, a bit of a challenge to begin with. Um, also, the, the timetable um, at uni, everyone would say, would say, oh, you get so much time to yourself. You can go out, we can go shopping, we can do this, we can do that. But I, I, want, I didn't want to recruit any debt, so I stayed at home for university for starters. Yeah. Um, worked as well um, and also um, the timetable for physio was worse than school because wow. it was like it was eight till five or eight till six rather than like nine till four nine till half three so there'd be lessons dotted here there and everywhere and different schedules you'd have to um, kind of go to um, I used to get a Wednesday afternoon off for sport but other than that it was kind of full on so that that was a shock because I was preparing myself to chill out more and, and kind of live the uni life so yeah, but uh-huh. So um, yeah, it's taught me quite a lot. It taught me how to deal with people. It, it taught me a little bit about known and unknown, um, unconscious and unconscious, um, um, subconscious. Sorry, racism, um, and understanding people that they they weren't from the same background as I was. They weren't, didn't have the same experiences um, that I had, um, and unconsciously said and did things that were me and you'd be like, where the hell has this come from? Or can you not, can you not see where that might be offensive? And to be honest, they really didn't. They, they, they really didn't grasp it or understand it. And I think a lot of people still still don't. Um, so this is why it's good to have platforms like this where we can tell our stories and have a voice to kind of say, actually, this is where this might be a little bit offensive or this is where um, it's not cool. And then taking it from there, whether the change or not is down to that individual, but at least we have the, the voice to, to speak now. Um, and that sort of taught me a few lessons that moved on into the workplace as well. So at, um, from university, you had to do um, placements at different hospitals around Greater Manchester. Now, this helped to fund the course, which was brilliant. Again, minimal debt. And like, like I told you before, I don't like to be in debt. So the course was subsidised by that, which was fine. But again, you, you saw these little snippets of, of conscious and the subconscious racism and sneaking in as a student even. I remember one occasion where I was told that one of the beds, one of the plinths had pen on it. And I was accused of, of causing the pen marks on the plinth. And it's like, right, Julian, can you, can you please clean the plinth? And think of it as a, how old was I? I think it was about 18, 19, 18, 18, 19 year old trying to fit in, trying to do the best, be the best and do the best. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think of it anywhere. I was like, right, I better clean this plinth. And I cleaned it, it wouldn't come off, but I spent an afternoon literally cleaning down a plinth. And I told my mum, my mum was like, you what? It's <laughs> like, how are you doing what today? I didn't tell you, you didn't go to university to clean. Um, that, that, you didn't go to uni for that, you're meant to be learning. So, um, but as someone that was trying to fit in and try and do the right thing and try and get the grades, you kind of just, just did it. Um, so looking back, you kind of see these things and think, wow, I, I went through that. And, and it, it teaches you a lot as well. I think it teaches you a lot about humility. Um, it teaches you just to kind of strive and get through. Um, so these type of stories I'll be telling my children and advising them, hey, this is how it can be and this is how you, you kind of can progress and, and, and push through. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's all about those experiences along the way. Um, and that's, again, a different job that I was at. Um, again, there's a bit, 
it's an understanding of having a young black boy in, in a profession that was predominantly white middle-class female. That, that was the main thing where it comes to loggerheads and they just, they don't get you, they don't understand you. But again, how, how can they? They've not had the experience of, some, of someone like me. And I think it's changing slightly now, which is good. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I went on the, the CSP, our Chartered Society of Physiotherapy course, um, where they're looking at leadership and diverse leadership. And that's one of the reasons why I found myself on that course to say, hey, um, there's a different way of doing things, there's a different way of seeing things, there's different cultures, and hopefully opening that up for, for the younger generation and for the workforce that I'm, that I'm in at the moment as well. Wow. wow that's yeah. thank you thank you julian i mean that that goes beautifully into the topics we want to discuss today which you know men talking about mind body and spirit of course but i think but first I'd, I'd like to delve a bit more into what your mental health story in particular is you've mentioned a few key experiences there uh, especially through your time as you were studying are there, is there any one in particular perhaps that stands out or it might even be outside of that, that has really maybe shaped uh, you to the man you are today or to your approach to other people as well? Okay, so about mental health and, and the mind, basically all the battles and all the things we go through are what appears all in the mind. It starts off here, it ends here. And it's all about how you um, kind of conceptualize and how you perceive things in your mind. Now, um, I'm, I'm a man of faith. I went to been to church from, from when I was a, a child and still go now. And from a young age, we're taught to pray and we're taught to have that conversation with God. Now, you have to ask yourself, how can you have a conversation with someone that you can't see? That has to be going on in the mind yeah so i'll give you i'll give you a story of what happened to me when i was younger and how what you put in your mind and how what you pray for can manifest itself in reality so i was about seven eight seven eight seven eight eight nine ish yeah remember the um super nintendo yeah yeah you guys remember that mario and remember um it was sonic at the time on the mega drive and um so super nintendo my grab and street fighter 2 had just come out on the super nintendo as well so my dad worked, 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 worked. He's an electronic engineer, my dad, absolute genius. And he uh, worked, 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 but that was to put us through school. It wasn't for the finer things in life. It wasn't for toys and for things like that for us to get our education. So he was an electronic engineer, right? Super Nintendo just came out and the Mega Drive came out. And each night I would pray for one or the other. One night would be, Lord, please let me have the Super Nintendo. I'd really enjoy it. It would make my life. It'd be amazing. And then the next night would be the Mega Drive's looking good as well. Please can I have the Mega Drive. Sonic's looking cool. Can I have one or the other? So that went on. I, I can't remember how long it went on for, but it went on for a period of time. Every single night, just praying. Um, and this is the whole thing of praying, just being that conversation with God, saying, this is what I want for me. I don't think it's a bad thing for me. It's, it's, one, it's a desire that I would like to improve my life. And it went on for a period of time. So you know how expensive those things were back then. Um, so there was no real chance of me getting it kind of the normal way, so to speak. So then my, um, one, one day I came downstairs and my dad had both of the Super Nintendo and the Sega Mega Drive. Wow. Oh. I'm like, hey, what's happened here? I said, what's going on? He says, oh, my customer has asked me to fix it. Um, he said, so I'm going to fix it for them. And I remember at the time they had, you know, you've got little Allen keys now and the special screws. 
The way that they made those video games back then, they made special screws you had to buy or purchase a screwdriver just to get into it. I remember him saying I had to spend seven pounds just to get the screwdriver to get into it to fix it. So I was just buzzing that the boxes were in the house. I'm like, oh my gosh, the boxes are in the house. I can't believe it. It's not mine. It's not ours, but it's in the house. So he he fixed them because he's a genius. He's a great guy. He fixed them. And then he um, he, he sent them back to the guy. He said, right, I fixed them for you. The guy said, it's okay. Just keep them. Serious. Oh, oh blessings. <laughs> was, like, my mind was blown. I was like, oh. and it wasn't like it was just a super Nintendo, it was both. So both yeah. things that I was praying about. I think I didn't even bother him too much with it because I knew he I knew he worked hard. Mm. I knew he had three of us then. There's three of us and then my, my youngest brother wasn't born yet. And I knew the costs of one, I was like, I'm not gonna ask him. But then that prayer went on in my mind, both of them were provided for us. At the cost, it did cost something. It cost my dad seven pounds because that's how much the screwdriver was. So that's regarding what goes on in here and that conversation that you have with God and how you manifest things in prayer and how they become reality. And when your faith becomes reality, for me, that's what um, that that's what happens in my mind. And that was that was when I was at that age. When you get experience like that when you're younger, mm. as you go through life, there's a lots of different um, challenges. But it's the same premise. Same thing happened at university. We we're doing our dissertation. Um, everyone was using different rooms to use different materials to, to, to do the experiments. And I was just clueless. Like I was, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't hire any of the rooms to do the work that I needed to do. And it was just stressing me out. So I worked hard. I did work hard at uni. And then one day we were down, I was downstairs by myself in the um, like in the reception area or the, in the chill out zone. And then I was like, you know what, this is doing my head in the way. I need to get this, this project done. I've not got a room. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And then a, a voice came to me and literally says, do you trust me? So I was like, yeah. He's like, do you trust me? I'm like, yeah, of course I trust you. It's like, the next question was, have I ever let you down? I was like, no. And then again, it came, do you believe in me? And I was like, yeah. Then from there, literally the next day, everything just opened up. Friends that had booked a room, kind of said, Julian, come, I've got, got a spare spot for you. You can do your, your project in this area. And it just opened up. There was still challenges, it was still difficult. I did not like uni because of the challenges. It was like, it was a, it was a hard slog, but nevertheless, here I am in it. And it got opened up the way. So when you have those past victories, it's good to either write them down or remember them because it's the same challenge. It's the same challenge over and over again but in different guises. And it's the same answer. And for me, that's, that's through God and prayer. Um, the biggest one now has been, was it 2020? Was, was, was last year. Um, started up in 2019. I was doing it like a course um, to be, it's called a first contact practitioner course where we learn how to assess like GPs and do work in GP practices. So one of the suggestions were, go and see your GP to um, see how they assess you as a, as a, as a patient. So, I went down one day, spoke to my GP. I never go to the GP, no real need, um, thank God. And I mentioned to him, my heart rate's still slow. No, I had hip, I had hip surgery because I injured my hip a few years previously. And when they put me on the table, all the alarms went off. And then the uh, surgeon was like, wow, what's going on? Is, is your heart normally like this? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, your heart rate's 46, 46 beats a minute. And I was like, okay. He's like, is it normally this low? And, and he was like, I was like, I don't know. I don't check my heart rate. It is what it is. So naturally, it's around about 60 to 70. 
And then when you're stressed, like you're about to have surgery, it should be kind of nine, 80 to 90 because, you know what I mean, you're ready for surgery. I was like, I don't know. So he said, well, keep an eye on it. And then that was that. Had the surgery, thank God everything was fine. Um, so I mentioned to my GP, oh yeah, by the way, um, my heart rate's still slow. And he was like, did we not check this in 2016 after your surgery? And I said, well, you said you were going to, but then nothing happened. I got no appointment. So I just thought, you guys thought it was fine. My blood pressure's fine. Um, when I exercise, I sweat a little bit more than my friends and I burn out a bit quicker, but nothing major. I just put that, you just put it down to being unfit. Um, playing football, I used to play football two, three times a week, five aside. No issues, no dizzy spells, generally healthy and fit. So my um, GP said, okay, then we're going to do an ECG on your heart to see what's, what's going on, just to see what the, what's, what's happening with it. So they did the ECG and the technician was like, um, this can't be right. So I was like, how do you mean? And she was like, oh, your, your waves, your different waves and your different peaks and troughs all, all over the place. And I was like, how do you mean? She went, it just doesn't look right. It doesn't look like somebody who's walking around looking like you. Your ECG shouldn't be looking like this. So she called her boss. The boss said, you put the different wires on in the wrong position. And she's like, I've done this job for 20 years. It's not, I've got a routine. It's not that. But she said, we'll do it again anyway. Did it again, same outcome. And they were like, right, this is going to need to be sorted. We need to get in contact with someone here. So the long and short of it is they got me a cardiologist, like within two to three days, got me on an echocardiogram where they go to check what your heart's doing with the scan. And they were saying that my heart was pumping out, um, I think it was 35% of the blood in your heart was being pumped around the body. Now you should, your body should pump out at least 50%, at least half the blood in your heart should go around your body. But on mine, 70% was literally staying in there. And they were like, well, if your blood isn't moving, you can get things like the blood clots. You can just literally, that could just be it. So I was like, wow. So the whole time I was like, well, you're telling me this as a professional, um, but I feel fine. Um, so I'm, I'm listening to what you're saying, but as in me, I feel, I feel cool. And this is one of the things you need to be careful of as well, not taking good uh, medical professional advice because you can feel good, but what's going on in the inside could be something completely different. So um, the cardiologist said, yeah, you're going to need to have a procedure where we knock you out, put paddles on your heart, reset your heart, get your heart pumping correctly, put you on blood thinners, and then that should preserve your life. So I said, you feel fit and healthy now? Because I, I think I was 30, 37 at the time. And they said, um, you feel fit and healthy now, but it's when you get a bit older where you can just, you can just give up because your heart's doing too much. So I said, okay, then cool. Well, I'll, I'll listen to you guys. I'll be, gu be guided by what you're telling me. Um, had the procedure and then knocked me out for 10 minutes. And then when I came back around, all the doctors were around the bed and they were like, do you want to get your wife? And I was like, why, what's going on? And they said, well, we've shot your heart twice. We've got rid of the flutter and we did what we needed to do. But we found out when that flutter had gone, you're in complete heart block. So I was like, what's that? And like, literally none of your chambers in your heart are talking to each other. And we don't know how you've been surviving like this without any shortness of breath, without any dizzy spells, with your blood pressure being fine. With like, you've just, you're in complete heart block. So they wouldn't let me off the bed. They blue lighted me to the Manchester Royal Infirmary, which is the main hospital in Manchester put me on the cardiology ward for about seven hours and I, I fell asleep. Next morning, consultant shook me awake and said, are you going down to surgery in half an hour to have a pacemaker put in? So I was like, pacemaker? He was like, yeah, you, this, is, this is serious, you're getting a pacemaker. So I did all that lot. And then the whole point of this story is when I was going through this and at the time when they said something was, 
wasn't quite right. Again, I was meditating, praying, and again, that voice came back again and said, I'm going to fix your physical heart. And not just that, I'm going to fix your spiritual heart. So it's like both things. So physically, yeah, you want your heart to be pumping as it should, but then there's something beyond that as well. And that's where the spiritual element came, comes in as well. And then from there, that's where, um, once you get reassurance like that and, and, and you've been told something, it takes you back to what happened at uni. It takes you back to the Mega Drive and the Super Nintendo. And it reassures you that actually, yeah, I'm being looked after here. And that brings you peace and a mental peace as well at the mm. same time. Wow. Yeah, like you, you connect the dots going backwards and you sort of go, no, someone's been looking out for me all this time, almost. I feel yeah. like there's so, there's so much. Sorry, you, go, go, go. You were about to say something. Yeah. No, I'm just going to say it's a reassurance. It's just that reassurance because I can, I can reassure you. I can, I can tell you all sorts um, as a human being. I promise, I promise I'm going to be on this podcast and I'm going to be here for, for one o'clock. One o'clock comes and I don't turn up. You're like, you, you promised me something, but what's going on? But the promises of God, again, the Bible says the promises of God are sure. So once he's told you something and once he's reassured you of something, whether you believe it or whether Ray believes it or whether my mom or my dad believes it, it's kind of irrelevant. Once God speaks to you directly, you're sorted. You're sorted. And that, that's, that, that does definitely bring you peace and confidence. Um, but it's, then it's about knowing to listen out for that voice and then knowing where to look for, to hear what God says about you. And that's where the Bible comes in um, and reading God's word. It's amazing you say that because um, I'm, I'm, I'm not religious uh, now, but, you know, I've gone through a journey of being religious for my family, um, starting from, you know, Buddhism, Christianity, things like that. And, you know, when I hone in on one particular thing where it says that um, uh, God makes us in his image. Mm -hmm. So essentially, you know, there's God in every one of us in different ways. Now, for you to have obviously gone through that particular journey, which, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm just like, I've got a lump in my throat and I'm like, wow, you know, I cannot even fathom what you've experienced. You know, I don't think not even Shamendo myself or anyone else listening can. Um, but at the same time, it, you know, brings that realness of, you know, for you, for, for, for your heart to still not be functioning and still pumping blood through your body and you're still active looking you know young fit you know sweet as ever um <laughs> no seriously it's like it's, it's that thing of like you know there's that what your what your mind tells you your body follows and if you've got that godliness in you in your mind in your heart and everything else and by the sounds of it you obviously put your trust in in God for you to, you know, not just fight that, but also, you know, continue being here and obviously have us having the pleasure of hearing that story as well. Um, I'm very honored by that, by the way. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's just an incredible story. And I think, you know, from when you started talking, one thing that I would also like to find out, um, you basically said that you, as a, as, as a young boy, you started, um, what was it? You started wanting to be a footballer. And this is something every black 
kind of boy want, always want to be because we because it's that thing of all we see on 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 the center stage is just black footballers you know you don't see on a center stage um black doctors and things like that so that's all we're kind of exposed to that's all we want to emulate that's all we want to work towards and you know again uh you know do commend your parents you having both your parents there and more or less guiding you and steering you through that so my question to you is that even though you had this dream of still wanting to be a footballer and your parents were there to kind of balance you out mm-hmm. um how was that for you see so my mom's very practical and she's very straight talking and she would say back then she says okay then you're a footballer and said you're fast you're quick I'm a left footer or left footer and she'd say, what happens when someone um, um, goes in for a challenge and breaks your leg? And I'd like, gosh. And this, this is at the age of like six, five, oh. six. <laughs> five, six, yeah, yeah. She went, you're, you're fast, you're quick, you're skillful. So what happens when someone goes in and does that and it ends, ends your career potentially, then what? And she asked me that straight off the bat. She went, if you want to play football? She went, do you study in? Um, I'm going to play football, but make sure you do your studying. Because then if anything should happen, such as that type of injury, you've got something to fall back on. Um, and you've got your, you've, once you've got your, she always said, once you've got your education, once you've got your certificate, said you could be driving in your big fancy car and you could drive straight past me at the bus stop and ignore me. And she, and she said, well, that would be your choice, but at least you've got a choice. When you've, 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 you've kind of studied and you've got to where you need to be so that you've got a choice. And this is where the whole, um, I think I mentioned it in the past as well, the Black Lives Matter movement or Black Lives Matter movement. I fully, I fully get it. I fully agree with the notion of what's said. Um, but in my opinion, it's the black living that matters because I've got a life. You have a life. Where you have a life, we all have lives. But are they, is it a good life? Is it um, a life of equality? Is it a life of respect? Is it a life where we can thrive? Is it a life where we know who we are as a people? Is it a life where we can pass down to the younger generation the best way of doing things or a better way of doing things? Or is it just the fact that our life matters? It's the, um, I think it's, the, for me, it's the living that's that's key. So just delving in a little bit more because I do, uh, I do love how you said that. Um, what do you think, you know, we can do in terms of helping the younger generation, um, making them understand, educate, and more importantly, because if, if we take into consideration not a lot of, you know, young boys and especially, you know, black heritage boys, they don't have the kind of direction you had. Yeah. So, you know, even to our listeners, you know, whether they're young or old and things like that, what do you think needs to be done to help them as well? Again, um, for me, because you can have your parents going on at you all the time. It's like, gosh, it's just my parents. What, what do you know? But it's that um, it's a repetition. It's the continuity of what you're being told. So for me, again, it was church. So we had Sunday school at church. You had the principles of the Bible taught to you in church. And earlier on, sorry, you mentioned about being religious. I'm not religious. I'm not religious. It's, 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 it's a, religion is kind of a man-made concept for control is to control people. When you read the actual Bible and read what God's word and read what's actually written, it frees you from, from that oppression, basically. 
me being a Christian is Christ and Christ came so that we could all be made free in him and to be free from the bondage of sin, basically free from ourselves and from our own crazy minds at times. So in, in church, it's that, that continued message from your parents, biblical principles, to God, ultimately to God to live in, for your ultimate freedom. It's to, it's to free you long term. Whereas, a, think of it as a, as, a, as a child. As a child, all you want to do is eat sweets. Your parents say, you shouldn't eat so many sweets, but I want sweets. Sweets, sweets taste good. They're, they're lovely. I love sweets. Your parents say, don't eat sweets, and you go to school, and your friends say, here you go, Julian, here's some, here's some sweets, here's some snacks. Your teachers say, one sweet won't matter, two sweets won't matter, you don't need to brush your teeth. And then it's a kind of a mis- mismarriage of, of, of good principles to what everybody else is saying. Then down the line, as a child, you've got rotten teeth. You can't eat the good things. You can't eat an apple because your teeth will just fall out. You've got cavities. You've got nerve root pain. Um, your breath starts to smell because your, ma- your mouth is contaminated. You don't want to smile at anybody. You have body dysmorphic um, um, issues because your teeth aren't what they should be. And you don't, you're not free to be as you would should you have looked after your teeth as a young age, as has been told from childhood. So that's just one analogy or one way of putting it. I think the continuity of the message, of the good message, is, what, is what's key for the young people. I think there's something really powerful there about how, A, how much children observe and take in that we might take for granted as adults and how that consistency in behavior or like say when parenting, there's this, we've got to be on the same, we've got to be singing from the same hymn sheet because otherwise they know who to go to when the, other, when the other one says no. And then they play off each other and ultimately it will usually end up in something going wrong at some point in the future. I, I really like the analogy or the metaphor of using sweets has this lesson and how do you know better like you might not have been to a dentist you might not have read about oral health as a child and you've pointed to the key lessons that the scripture holds and it's like it's a manual for life often we say there isn't a manual for life and that's one way of treating the bible because you get to learn from a lot of other people who've made all these good and bad choices and you learn about how your choices will have consequences and no matter how high you are you're not safe from the consequences and often what children might not think about is the consequences like you will eat sweets okay you don't get any sweets at home you take some from your friends Mm -hmm. maybe the teachers brought some at the end of the year and you you eat a bunch when you have bad breath because those sweets cause bacteria to thrive in your mouth. <laughs> and it's evident that you've made a poor choice in your bad breath. And now, because of your lack of control and discipline, and you ate the sweets, and you try and say hi to that girl you like, oops, your poor choices have paid off. Yeah. Because now you've got <laughs> cavities, <laughs> and you have to have a really painful procedure and everyone's afraid of the dentist because everyone made poor choices when it, a lot of the times when it comes to you know the teeth and oral health you've got your consequences that have come come to mind and i think currently we live almost in a period where 
people want to only live by their own rules. And I love the fact that you've pointed out how some of these things are good foundations because most people I think we speak to would agree with the element of being spiritual but not religious or going to church necessarily or whatever place of worship. So I really like that. Hey, and also this is often something we don't always hear about in regards to black men necessarily. There's the telling off, but I really love how even your parents broke it down and told you the facts. Uh, sorry, I, I'm talking too much. You, you, you had me flared up. <laughs> Back to you, Julia. No, no, no. I'm going to say the, what, what I loved about my, my mum is she always had a, um, a story. It wasn't like, don't do this and that's it. She'd say, look, this is, this is what happened. And look down the line, this is the consequence. So again, going back to the teeth analogy, you want, you want to talk to that girl. You want to have that conversation with people. But as I said, you have to modify that natural spirit and exuberance within you because when you talk, because of what you've done in the past, what comes out smells. So it's in you. It's in you to, you've got something good to come out, but because of what you've done, you kind of temper what you could have said and that has a knock-on effect on yourself and on the world. So then you're kind of always second-guessing yourself. Should I say it? Should I not? How do I look? Um, um, are they going to think about about me like this way and again that mentally you go in, going to and fro continuously with that again with the teeth analogy you can no longer eat the good things that you would have been able to eat should you have had a good set of teeth you can't bite into an apple with bad teeth they'll just crumble like the, the, um, the ground food that we say in Jamaica uh, it'd be hard for you to eat through a yam or through a green banana and all those good things with bad teeth because you can't you can't bite into or digest it. So down the line, it has a negative effect um, and that kind of becomes more, more prevalent. And I, I go to music now, not that I'm, I'm not against uh, rap music or gram or anything like that. I love some of those beats. Um, and, but I hear the story over and over again that it's somebody telling their, their story or what happened to them. And say, we're just, we're just putting our story out there for the masses. I'm like, that's cool. But guess what? That's not my story. I remember back in school listening to the, some of the rap and all the rest of it. And I'd like, I try to get into it. I love the beats. I love the beats. I love me. I really, I love music. But then with some of the lyrics, I'm like, that never happened to me. That was never part of my life. That was, I never had to grow up that way. Thank God. Um, but then not to be part of that, it's kind of like, well, you're not with it. I'm like, well, as I'm older, I realize, no, I'm not with it. Cause that's never been me. And my main concern with, with certain types of music, not just rap, not just grime, but with certain types of lifestyle is, for some young people, it was never, it was never them. It was never meant for them. And it will never, and it should have never been them, but because they've been dragged into it and this is seen as cool and it's somebody's story, then it becomes your story. And again, mentally again now, this is where we have this conflict of God has got, God has got a lifestyle for you. Um, and you've been blessed with a certain type of lifestyle, but because someone else is telling their story, and you're taking this thing in um, through your ears and through your eyes continuously, it becomes your story and it was never, ever meant to be your story. So the same thing with football, same thing with the footballers. Sport is good, but you might have a young black boy who was always meant to be a dentist or was always meant to be, I don't know, a doctor or a lawyer. That was always, that, that was meant to be, they've got the brain capacity for it. They've got the in, um, in, intuition for it. They've got the dialect for it. But because you see these other things now where somebody else is telling you, this is the way it should be. This is where the money's at. This is, um, this is what success and fame looks like. 
you, you, you come off your track and you start to follow somebody else's, which was never ever meant to be for you. And that's where I think a lot of people feel unfulfilled. That's when the depression comes in around, I think it's age 40 where you have the midlife crisis and all the rest of it. Um, because you're, you're kind of looking at somebody else's view of your life where God had always said, this was your road. This is where I was going to make you shine. And because you've gone onto somebody else's, you think they're, they're, they're shining better than, than what you think you can. You start to follow someone else, and then, yeah, the mentally that that's that's harsh. You're living you're living living a lie, basically. I think absolutely. Uh, I think one of the most commendable parts of your own story or journey is that spark of curiosity that comes from losing the fish, which <laughs> a lot of us. <laughs> it sounds almost ridiculous to say, right? Don't bring it up. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to go there. I'm, I'm trying to get it here. <laughs> sorry. What, what, what was the fish's name? Nimrod. Nimrod. <laughs> Where's that come from? Oh, who knows? He's gone now. Anyway, he's gone. <laughs> Poor Nimrod. <laughs> the following on from rap. I'll, I'll pour some liquor for him later. <laughs> but it's it's this thing of. I, I, I'm inspired by the fact that you lost the fish and it made you think a little bit, A, that first of all, the fish got taken to the veterinarian to check the ulcer. And we all know how much children love their pets, but we don't mm-hmm. often maybe pay attention to how that could shape their actual future. Because it goes from that to you having an experience at the vet and going, asking all these questions because you are genuinely now curious. and they can see because they're an expert in the field. And it's one of those, like if you expose your children to different experts, you give them access to different people, they'll be able to see the spark because they hear you asking these questions that most people aren't asking. And they go, oh, and you're not actually into what I'm into right now. It looks like you're into the rehabilitation. You should pursue that. So they almost, they fan that flame of, insight like they've seen something there and you've run with it and you've been encouraged to do it you didn't go home maybe say i saw this they told me to look into this side of things and you were told yeah but you're going to be an accountant you're going to be an engineer you're going to follow in my footsteps you were encouraged again to follow the thing that you were after properly in a way perhaps because when you said it for football And maybe it's different times and the way things are now, people see how much potential earnings footballers have. It might be different because everyone, like even Ray said, everyone loves to play football. But there's a difference between just enjoying something like we all enjoy the gym and having something that genuinely almost bugs you. Like you just you have to know more and you want to do more. Uh, I think there's a powerful thing there. I'd, I'd love to see if you're trying to figure that out with your children as well. But, but <laughs> with, with my children, I've, I've literally said, because um, my, my daughter was a, a perfectionist, uh, really was wanted to get everything right. And uh, I, I kind of had to take it back. I wasn't when I was young, I just wanted to just play. But she wanted to get everything specifically right to the nth degree. Let's take it back a step. I, I had to say to her, I prefer it when you get things wrong. Imagine that as a parent. Oh, like I prefer when you get one or two things wrong because you're going to learn from that. Whereas if you get everything right, again, with this the mentality thing, the minute you get something wrong when you're older, 
it's going to floor you. And you're going to think that you know good and it's going to have all these different um, um, connotations to you. So that it's good to get things wrong when you're younger and a little bit when you're older as well, because you will learn from that. In regards to profession now, I said, whatever you do, make sure you're passionate about it and make sure you work at it. If you want to be um, a, a, a bin man, I said this to my son, I said, if you want to be a bin man or, um, or a refuse collector, whatever you call it these days, I said, it's not the fact that you just stop there as a bin man. What then happens is you're looking at things such as recycling. Then you're looking at things as um, a waste management plant owner. And then you're looking at um, um, saving, ultimately having a green planet. And you know what the green economy is looking like now. So what could start off as a small seed in regards to want to be a bin man could put you in a multi-million uh, position down the line as someone who is, is working on um, um, on the planet, basically improving the conditions of the planet and recycling and yeah, it, it didn't have to. It didn't have to stop at that initial thought. You progress it and you develop it, and you question it. You, you question your children. You question it and say, "Well, why do you want to do that? Um, what 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 benefits will that give you in your brain? What makes you think that you want to do this thing?" And then you encourage it, and then watch it flourish and grow. Because if it's truly what they want, they will get self fulfillment in it. And then if you can be self fulfilled, that's better than it's better. It's better than money. It's better than anything because again, you're at peace. And your freedom within yourself. I've achieved what I believe that I wanted, and those that that changes throughout the years as well as you as you get older. Your your visions change, but as long as you're kind of reaching for for what you want for yourself, that's where you're gonna get that peace and that fulfillment and that enjoyment. And that's where it's your specific path. It's different to what I would have thought when I went for physiotherapy. My grandma's passed on now, but the first thing she asked me was, "Is that where is that where the big books are?" <laughs> she was the nurse she's like is that where the big books are and I was like I don't think so but it is what it is she's still encouraging me in it and again here we are here we are today um, so again for younger people your choices might not be the same as what your parents would have for you but make sure you honour them that's another one of the commandments honour your parents again always go back to the God's word, because it will guide you in whatever you need to do. Um, and again, back to the Bible again, it's not even about telling anybody I've read it and I'm, I'm a good person because I've read the Bible and I've been to church this morning. It's never about that. It's about literally, God, what have you got to tell me today? And if I read it somewhere, where does that marry up with what I want to do and where I want to be and how do I get there? And it's, as you said, it's that guide where it just guides you step by step by step and when you're guided guess what you don't have to think so much i like simple i like simplicity i don't like confused i don't like to think too much or too intense i'm not that's not me so if i know i can go somewhere or ask someone or be guided and say no just go this way just do that just do this and it all opens up for you happy days that takes a lot of stress out of my mind excellent excellent um as you were speaking, one thing that really resonated with me is um, what you do as a father. Um, I'm a father too. Um, but as we discussed earlier, you're way ahead of me. <laughs> I'm not here to judge. <laughs> but um, it was so interesting what you basically said. Um, and it just brought two things to me that um, one, the key to... To, 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 to a healthy life is also having a healthy mind yeah. and what you're basically how you're nurturing your daughter 
who's, you know, as you said, is a perfectionist. One thing I've learned so far is that it's so key and crucial to fail better. The more you fail, the, the thicker skin it gives you, the, the better you become and the more you're able to achieve. And, you know, you're not, you're being comfortable being uncomfortable, if that makes sense. So what I'm trying to get to is that I want to know, one, what was your mental health like in terms of you pre-being a father, okay, um, compared to now you are a father in terms of your mental health and how you're, you know, nurturing, stimulating, not just your daughter, but everybody else, you know, your partner, everyone around you outside of work, that, that kind of process. Mm. Again, this is a, a good question because you've got to ask yourself, I've got four children, so one's 12, one's 11, one's six, and one's four. So I think a more specific question would be is what was your mental health with the 12 and the 11 year old versus the six and the four year old? Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're completely different. <laughs> Honestly, the first two, their, 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 their behavior and how they are is completely different to the younger two. <laughs> um, so it's like my, my, so my, my older daughter's a perfectionist, uh, my, my 11 year old son, so plaited, he's so soft and so um, tender-hearted. Honestly, it, it's just, it's crazy. And I'm trying to, again, as a pet, toughen him up. Come on, you're 11 year old, toughen him up. And then at the same time, like, you know what? What he's doing is the way his nature is and how his soul is and how, how he is, it's perfect. It's literally it's perfect. So it's a balancing act of, I don't want you to get hurt by someone out there as you get towards secondary school age, but I don't want to ruin that part of you because that's beautiful. So that's a massive balance in that. For the younger two now, obviously, as you get older, you just get more tired. <laughs> those, those, those younger two, so it's two boys, two girls. So the youngest boy and the youngest girl, they are go-getters. They know what they want. Where if you say no, it doesn't matter if you said no or not, I'm going to still marry you until I get it. Um, my, my youngest son is an absolute whiz on the computer. And again, this is where I'm torn as well. So like logging into Zoom and things like that and getting on the Apple, he'd be like, no, dad, you do it this way. He's six. He's like, you do this, you do that. And you'll, you'll work it out just like that. And I'll be like that with the fingers trying to get the right, get the, <laughs> get the right um, curtain and all the rest of it. But um, yeah, he, he is he's seriously on point. So again, as a parent, I'm still looking down the traditional route of, do I say, yes, maths, English, this, do you do it this way? Because this is how I was taught. Or do I let him thrive in this new age? with computers because he's a wizard. Um, so men mental health-wise, for me, it's that it's that battle of, well, what do you do as tradition and what do you do as kind of new age parenting? Um, and it is a challenge. It definitely is a challenge. Um, but again, this is where I go back to what the Bible, what the Bible says and what the principles are there. Because the principles and the foundation is there. And then you, everything else that's new can build upon that. So... Yeah, it's, it's that that mental thing is definitely a challenge. <laughs> I guess that's what you got. Any tips, uh, Ray? I'm, 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 yeah, you got any tips for me? Then uh, nah, listen, yeah. I'm learning from everybody. I'm learning from everybody, but I think everyone's, uh, as, especially as a father, everyone has a different, you know, journey. And I think um, mm -hmm. for, and at the same time, it, they're quite similar and aligned and things like that because I always, you know, say that 
my daughter helps me in terms of my journey to be a better man, a better person and things like that. And at the same time, you know, just like your children is that, you know, they, they're educating you on all sorts of, you know, things. And no matter what I've tried to kind of do to help her, whether it's toughening her up, um, she's, she's already who she is. I, I, I cannot alter, alter her in any kind of way. All I can do is just, you know, love, protect, support her, encourage her all the way through, no matter what, and just, you know, not to, to basically stress her out and push her to say, oh, you have to be this or you have to be that. Because like you said, you know, if if our children decide to be, you know, uh, you know, doing all the rubbish and things like that, who knows where they could take it? It's their journey. It's yeah. their journey. As long as at the end of the day, you know, we show love and support, that's all that matters. You know, how, how, how that journey happens in the future, you know, we don't know. But nonetheless, you know, our if they flourish, we're going to flourish no matter what. So, yeah, every day is a learning experience. To it, be is, fair. it is. It is. And my mom, again, my mom gave me the story of um, when she was younger. She was, um, I think she's a course to be a touch typist. And it was, back then it was, if you're a touch typist, you got a job for life as a receptionist. <laughs> it was like, be a touch, ty um, touch typist, and yeah. that's you've got a job for life. <laughs> How mad does that sound now? Crazy. You know what I mean? So it's, and that's the good thing about life. It continues to, to, to develop and it continues to, to, to go forwards. And again, mentally, again, um, thinking about who we are, things continually change. Things continually change, but to have that foundation to build upon despite that change is what gives me stability. Mm, I think, I, th I think, you know, the, the biggest thing that I'm obviously starting to realize um, is, communication is so key with the children's day. Yeah. Um, what I mean by that is that, um, I, don't, I don't know about your experience, but it was always that thing of like, you know, when big people are talking, don't talk, or you can't listen to these conversations, or, you know, parents won't talk to you about, you know, whether it's think education about sex, you learn sex when you're in school. You know, if, you know, you've got a daughter, you don't really talk to her about, minstrel cycles and things like that and it's all those little key things that make it harder to, to have that communication to know that look you know fair enough I'm your parent but I'm here to help and support you so all these things now uh, you know even when I speak to my siblings and things like that I'm breaking the molds I'm breaking those you know previous older generation stigmas of we can't speak to you about no no, no, no. Because nowadays the kids are growing up way too quick. A 10-year-old, you know, where if I compare myself as a 10-year-old compared to, you know, my 10-year-old daughter, she is way advanced, way advanced. She's ahead of her time. And that's the thing in, in this day and age, you have to be so open and transparent. Um, I personally think in terms of that, if you, if, if as a parent for me, if I'm going to help and protect her, make sure that, because if, again, if, something bad happens and I'm none the wiser, what can I possibly do? Because I've never opened that channel of communication for her to kind of come to me, have those uncomfortable conversations for us to, to grow together. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. And I think the key thing there is, is knowing, knowing your child because the conversations that I would have with um, the older two at a certain stage will be completely different to the younger two. 
Definitely. Um, so it's knowing, and that's what you have to kind of picture and know what's right for them at that mm. time. That's where you have to kind of know know your children as best possible and be friends be friends with them. My, my when I was younger, <laughs> let me tell you something. When I was I was um, a baby, um, I didn't want to be a put it that way. When I when I was a baby, I remember, believe it or not, what it was like in the womb and what it was like before being birthed. So there's one situation where my mum sat down with me and uh, I think it was about three, three or four. She always reminds me of it. And she's asking me what heaven was like. And I was going through what heaven was like, what it was like before I got here, how warm the room was. It sounds crazy, but I remember the conversation and she called, my dad went from home and she called to my dad in the garage to say, come in. And the minute she called him, I just stopped talking. And she's like, she couldn't believe that I was articulating what things were like before here, so to speak. So the reason why, why I say that is because when I was when I was was born, I didn't want to talk to anybody so much. So my mum would be talking to me, saying Julian, Julian, and making noise, and I'd, I'd ignore her, and I'd have a straight face. So this was when I was a baby. She took me down to the um, ear specialist, ENT specialist, and said, "There's nothing wrong with this hearing. He's just ignoring you." <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, she knew it was going to be a rough ride. From the time, from the time she had to um, take me to a specialist for them to tell her your son's ignoring you <laughs> every day after school, every day in the car, wherever you were, there was constant flows of conversation. How was your day? What did you do? How are you feeling? Mm. Continuous. I will never forget it. I was like, why is this woman asking me questions again? And she would not stop until we had that conversation. From there, and I see the importance of it now because from there you have and you build that relationship where you you can you don't know everything about your children you never will you, you get a general concept of where they are um, and on their journey and then you just adapt um, and, and change and, and introduce things as and when is required um, but it's that is that relationship and that conversation and communication as we said before that's that's key. And this is one. This is one of the blessings, I think, with the whole lockdown situation. I know a lot of people don't like it. It's not been good for everybody, um, and it has been testing times. But guess what? If you use the time effectively, you can start to speak to your family again. You can start to have the conversations. There's six of us in this house, so you can't escape one another anyway. Even if you wanted to, there's no space. So you have to have those conversations and 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 kind of build those relationships. Um, and that's with the family here, and also. The family further abroad, the online. Like I never, I've never met you guys before. But guess what? We're having a conversation now. Um, and I think without without the lockdown, I wouldn't have been able to use this technology so freely. So it's it's good, and it, it's all it's all for a reason. Put it that way. It's all for a reason. I think it's 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 to bring people closer to each other, have a better understanding of one another, and have communicative talks, have that that discussion. Well said. Well said. Uh, I think you've mentioned adaptability being something that also happened when you were studying because you came across all these different uh, people from different backgrounds and it allowed you to, yeah, like say, adapt in different situations. And I'm assuming that's something that's continued throughout work. For me, there's an element of, especially as black men, we seem to have this, I want to say, chameleon ability. We feel like we have to blend into the environment as opposed to staying as we are and making the environment either accept us or 
flow around us like water, as they say, but we tend to be the ones who flow around everything and tone ourselves down on most, most occasions. Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose I'm leading into when it comes to you in the workplace, especially knowing that you were the only, say, black British male when you were studying and knowing that, did, is there a sense of isolation or sort of feeling alienated from everyone and knowing how to behave or if you found it relatively okay or has that affected your mental health as well? How, how's that, how's the workplace sort of experience been for you? Yeah, the, the de definitely. And um, the, the one good thing was uh, there was an Asian female where used to wear a um, hijab. So like real Asian girl from Rochdale, her brother was closer to me in regards to our cultures than anybody else um, at the uni. So because she had her um, older, her younger brother was like that, kind of she was a bit like him. So I bounced off her really well. So that was a good close kind of um, friend I had at uni. Had other friends as well, but in regards to culture, um, I could be a bit more free with her. One of the statements that was made when I was at uni is, Julian, you walk like a black man. And I was like, yeah, that's because I am. <laughs> and again, it wasn't meant. It, it, it wasn't meant in any. I don't believe it was meant in any way at all. But literally that time, like you walk like a black man. I was like, okay, so how does a black man walk? And if that's the case, I am a black man. So you see the, the kind of the misunderstanding, so to speak. So yeah, in, in regards um, um, dumbing yourself down, so yeah, so to speak. And there was a comment that was made as well that I was arrogant by one of the by one of the tutors to a whole class. And that's because I walked through her lesson that wasn't in an actual room, it was in the auditorium where lessons don't normally take place. And I'd walked through as a cut through. Um, apparently she called me, I never heard her. Um, and she told the class that I'm, I'm arrogant. And then one of the students said to me, oh yeah, this was said. I went back and apologized. I'm sorry, I never realized that I walked through your class. Um, so if I cause a disruption, I'm sorry. And she, she said, oh yeah, apologies and I'm accepted. But it's that kind of assumption that he's black because he's done, he's black and he's done this. Um, but again, that's not that it's right or wrong, but it's part of the responsibility of being who you are. Um, I think as a race, we are great. If you look at all the things that have happened to black people throughout the ages, which is still happening now within America, um, and across the world, not just America, across the world. But guess what? We're still here. We're still thriving. We're still having children. We're still bringing our children up correctly. We're still in decent jobs. Despite everything that we've had to go through as a race and as a people, we are still here and we're still thriving. And that's a testament to who we are. And that should never be dulled down. It shouldn't be, um, we should be gloatful about it. With the Black Lives Matter thing in where, where, um, people kind of realize what we've been through as a people and the lessons that needed to be learned. There's, there's people out there that, that say, it's not down to me to educate you about the black race. So I, I, don't, I don't believe it should be like that. I believe it should be, if you really are ignorant about something and we've been through something and we can help you along and teach you, then teach. Don't be, don't be too, too proud or too, I wouldn't say I'm not telling you about what I've been through. No, share the, sto share the story if you've got the ability to and the, the dialogue to be able to say these things and to teach, then teach because we've, we've been through it. We're still going through it, but we're still here. 
we're still here. So yeah, you have to be a chameleon sometimes. Sometimes you have to reduce the bass in your voice so that you you don't you don't frighten one of the um, older um, um, white patients, so to speak. When you're on the phone now, now we're doing things virtually, and we're on the phone a lot. So you have to adapt how you how you speak and how you say things, um, and that's. Yeah, it's made somebody else comfortable, but I think if you're comfortable enough in yourself and you know who you are, it's not a major issue to do that because you know who you are. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's, and it's a skill. It's a skill that has to be, a, a, be acquired until, until we start to do our own things, have our own platforms, have our own businesses, and then you can do whatever the hell you want because it's yours. And that's the, I think that's the epitome, that's the ultimate goal. But once you've got your own, um, and you're your own boss and you manage your own things, guess what? Do what you want then because that's your, that's your sector and it belongs to you. Yeah, and I think it makes sense because when we think about the comment Ray made, for example, with regards to young people seeing footballers and aspiring to that and who knows how they have to tailor their abilities or their behaviour and that element of culture you were talking about with the black living matters when you fit into mm. the club. When we then think about the people who, let's say, are responsible for shaping the culture of the organization, the coaches, mm. the managers, the executives, the directors, if people like us aren't there, then there's going to be an element of how we would be missing or lack of understanding of how we would be missing in most work environments. Because especially when we're talking in the UK context, we're a minority. We're not talking about like in an African context where we would expect to see people like us running the show. So when we're mm -hmm. here and there's a gap in people like us being there, I think, yeah, it's quite important to know that that's the experience people are going through and it's worth having a conversation because some of these things probably do chip away at people. Yeah, and again, again like, like you said, sorry, just just even with them, um, we go we got to football again. I've had to write, I wrote to Sky and um, kick out racism recently, literally on the language used towards black players, um, certain challenges that occur on the pitch. Whereas when it's a when it's a white white player, oh, it's fine that no no, it's, it's not. It was it was a mistake or it was it was just a tap. And when a black player does it, it's it's, it's described as wild, uncontrolled. Um, um, too powerful and even just even the ditch and what comes out of your mouth kind of sets an atmosphere um, and again yes yeah, it sets the tone yeah mm -hmm. and I, I, I wrote to like I said I wrote to Sky and they sent back some kind of placid response I was like you've not even got to the nature of what I've been trying to kind of describe to you and I thought it was just me only to find out online loads of other people white and black that said no this is unacceptable I can't believe we're getting away with this um, the description of power, power and pace rather than skill. Um, and another one is he's got a good football brain. And you never hear that about many black players. You, you never hear that, that, that put in their context. But again, for me, once you know and once you can call it out, um, then you know and you can call it out. And having discussions with guys like you, friends that I've got on WhatsApp, different groups, I think once we can come together and say, actually, we can see this and we can call out for what it is, it empowers you, it empowers us as a people, and then we can push on from there. Um, Marcus Rashford, amazing example. So, so proud of what, what, what he's done and what he continues to do. 
because um, he's educating, he's telling the truth about what his upbringing was, and he's doing it in, in, a, in an eloquent way, so much so that I do believe it's putting the politicians to shame. They try to backtrack and say, oh, this is always going to be in the pipeline. We always had this in mind. Whether you had it in mind or not, he's spoken up and now it's come to pass. So that for me, that's a, an amazing example. Lewis Hamilton, the same, um, of, of black excellence and, and what he's doing. Mm. Uh, and again, it's not in an arrogant way. It's very inclusive. But ultimately, he's this, this still shining. And that's that's how it should be for all races. But being a black man, I would love to see it for our young black men and young black women, especially young black women now um, coming through to, to shine in that in that manner. And then some. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, and that's one of the hopes with a platform like this is the younger yeah. generation get to hear the voices of the older generation and when lockdown ends or perhaps even virtually eventually we start to do things where we are all in the same room because i think ray made the point earlier you, when we grew up the adults and i've always i've found myself guilty of this on occasion like fun with my brothers or something we end up in the kitchen for some reason and we're talking <laughs> it's like talking adult <laughs> stuff <laughs> and the children are like supposed to just go there and of course, the first thing they're wondering is, what are they talking about? And I remember being that kid and standing in doorways because I'm like, what are the adults saying? Because you want, most of the time they're talking to you, they're trying to pick you up, they're trying to hang out. And then when they shut you mm -hmm. out, you, you, you're very aware that you've been excluded. And mm -hmm. I think it's really important because then we can have these conversations about, this is how your body's changing. This is what's going on you're watching football and you love it and you want to go into it, listen to what the commentators are saying because you are the person that they are targeting this entertainment to. You have to tell them to change the way that they're speaking to you. You don't appreciate it. And that's how it will change so that when you become the next footballer, they will speak about you on equal terms. And that's where the whole Black Living Matters thing comes in. And you have to then speak up. We want a manager who looks like us or something, if they're qualified and all these things, of course. Yeah. We're not just saying just put someone in there, but surely there's got to be someone who wanted, you know what I mean? Like, come on, what's going on? <laughs> they can be amazing athletes and have this incredible knowledge of the game. And in my opinion, have a good ability and understanding when it comes to communication, purely from an experiential point of view and probably massive amounts of empathy because like you were saying as a people we've mm -hmm. experienced certain things and there's just fortunately for other races for example they just won't have experienced those things like they'll never know what it's like to have someone look at you and just because you're fit and healthy not think mm -hmm. you could go into modeling or acting immediately just think like the football commentator thing power intimidation yeah. <laughs> I just like working out. <laughs> with, with, with the black people as well, you've got to remember, um, um, with the whole slavery aspect of thing is they took our, our names away from us. So there's a lot, there's a lot in a name. So you have other bases that have been through things, but they've literally taken our, our, our names and our, our family historical names and identity away from us. And it's, that's, that's it's horrific. But again, as I said, we're still here. Still here. In you saying that, I actually remember uh, listening to an actual podcast. I can't remember what it was. I think this was a few years back. Mm -hmm. And 
um, it was actually a girl who went into prison. Now, she always knew her name. As soon as she got into prison, she was assigned a number. That was her number. So when a guard calls her, they're not using her name. They're using that number. So, so, so what you're talking about is a form of, you know, going through the prison system of like what happened in slavery. And then she realized that her name, it, it meant a lot. It had a lot to do with who she was and her identity. And as soon as that, that, that element is taken out, you know, you don't know your name, all you know, or you can, you know, relate with is a number. You don't even know who you are anymore. You lose your identity. And I think, you know, ever since the shake of, last year it kind of heightened a lot of people's identity or even if they didn't know their identity you know everybody was seeking and searching to find where their heritage came from what it meant to be black and I think it's not the story of you know us being black it's not our story is not slavery our story is about all the amazing and wonderful things that we have done that is our story uh, in terms of you know, where our, you know, generations of wealth was or what we used to do, how our infrastructure was, bringing that, bringing that awareness and just educating us all. And I think, you know, that has also, you know, brought a lot of awareness to me. And I'm also helping in terms of changing the narrative to everyone around me, especially my daughter um, and, you know, younger people in my, my family and friends and things like that. So yeah, yeah. I think I think I could do with more than more of that. Definitely, I could definitely do with more of that kind of heritage aspect of things and where we're we're coming from. Um, because, like I keep saying, we're still here. We're still doing it. We're still doing it. It's, it's not. It's not as um, lauded over. It's not as um, um, what's the word? Oh, let me think now. It's not. It's, it's not put up there as much as we can say. But we're still. We're still doing it. And that, that's just beautiful to see. And the good thing is now, like with the type, um, like with Marcus Rashford, is he's done it through sports. You know, him as a footballer first and foremost, but then you see the excellence come through regardless. Um, and it, was he was United as well, I believe. You got something after his name, so he's um, he got the freedom of Manchester and all sorts. So that excellence comes through anyway. Um, so after he finishes his football, a bit like Lewis Hamilton again, after he finishes racing, you've got a heritage and you've got something more behind you than just being able to drive fast or kick a football well. It all comes from a place of love, as I think especially most of those actions in a big way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's potentially also why there is still in the black community, shall we say, this element of community where we yeah. all want to belong to a certain community and we really enjoy that or we're really trying to build on that these, these current mm -hmm. days and everyone's trying to come together. On what you were just saying, for example, could I ask what for you at the end would you like to be looked upon as the impact that you made on this world? A Christian. That's it. If, uh, at the end of it all, if they can say he is someone who followed in Christ's footsteps, what much more could you want? Because anything, most of the things that you do, um, um, most things that you buy, the heritage that you leave, it, it ultimately can all wash away in with time. Whereas as a Christian, that's 
goes on forever. So if I'm known as someone who followed in Christ's footsteps, who believed in Christ and who 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 loved people the way that Christ did, that's it. That's that's good enough for me. Those are some big footprints to follow, man. <laughs> <laughs> I love it though. I love it. Yeah. It reminds yeah. me of that footprints in the sand. Uh... Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's, that's all you can do. <laughs> every every day you can just try bit by bit, try to make sure you fit into that footprint. That's it. Um, that's and that's the perfect. That's 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 perfecting. You're being perfected each and every day, and yeah. If I can be known for that, then that's a, that's a good thing. That's that, that's a good thing for me. Hey, excellent. We strive towards perfection. I think that's like going back to even your daughter and the lessons. Like you might achieve perfection in one or two things or in a few things, but it's the idea of it's something you strive towards continuously as opposed to that you have to achieve daily. Um, you only have yeah. to get one thing perfect and that would change everything for everyone that kind of mindset is probably, it'll end up being the kind of career or impact she, I, I believe that she or others like her would have in the world. You know, yeah. you only need one person to figure out how to change a medical device and innovate. Cause I think, you know, that one innovation would change everything going forward. So you only have to be mm -hmm. perfect once if you feel like you're someone who's a perfectionist, it's not something you have mm -hmm. to kill off. It shows how yeah. powerful it can be if you do do it without stressing out. Now, mm -hmm. I know we've been going for a bit and we could go so far in. I, I was going to ask so many questions, <laughs> even just like communicating with patients at their lowest moment when they come in and they're trying to get rehabilitation. And we're definitely going to have to have another conversation because I think that's part of 100%. What we're trying to achieve here is to have a community and to have these discussions in an ongoing manner. Um, so I think we'll transition into the closing element for now. And we might chat on after we end the recording. <laughs> I, just, I know I have to say something, otherwise <laughs> we're not going to go anywhere. This is too good. I'm loving it. Okay. Uh, and I think I was I just, I had to check Nimrod. It's, it's a biblical king. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I might need to Genesis. research more. Yeah. But, oh, the fish. Mm -hmm. <laughs> ah, how it all starts. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll hop straight into it. And here are your surprise questions, Julian. Okay. First being, what's the best thing about being black? I think it's the strength, the strength of the ancestors beforehand, the strength of what people have been through, through slavery and the strength of what we had before slavery. Um, the Eve gene with um, it being known that, that that can only be found in black women and knowing that the melanin that we have from the ground up is earthy, it's from nature. And it, it fills me with strength and power knowing that I'm part of that heritage. Wonderfully said. And who taught you how to shave? My dad. It would have been my dad. Remember when um, we were younger, it's been, it was him who cut our hair. He used to take us to um, a barber's. Back then, that was around £6.50 a cut. 
And he's like, nah, that, that's too much. Then he bought his own clippers. And then, yeah, he 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 taught, he taught shaved us first. And then I learned from him. And then now it's gone. I now shave myself. <laughs> How was the first haircut? My, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and what did people at school say to you? <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting. Uh, it was primary. It was primary school, so it wasn't too harsh. But, but the good thing now is I've um, I'm starting to do my son's hair, so we're enjoying lockdown now. I thought, you know what? Hmm, I might as well give this a go because none <laughs> of his friends can laugh at him, and he's grown his hair out now. To be honest, so I've learned to fade a little bit. So he's looking quite slick, and he's very, he's a very handsome young man. So I've got to, got to do it for him. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. And um, my mom used to cut my hair. And I used to hate it at the time, but it's one of the few memories I have as well now. And it's, it's a wonderful time. I also remember Boys in the Hood. And that's the one thing you saw, like him and his dad are talking. <laughs> it's powerful stuff. Like, yeah. it's a very intimate moments. Like, you're going to affect how the world sees me right now. <laughs> Tread carefully. And the thing is, it, show, it shows that someone cares. You, you, you've got a relationship. Um, you're spending time, as good or bad as it is, they're bothering to spend time to help you with your appearance. Um, and if your hair's growing every two weeks or so, you've got that dedicated time with your mom or with your dad every two weeks to have that time together. So it's a nice, it's a nice thing. It's a nice thing. It's like going in the barbershop, you know? Um, you have a lot of conversations there. It's your time, you, you know, you have a laugh as well. So, yeah, no. Um, so, finally, uh, I was, we always like to round it up with a special question, which is, what advice would you give to your younger self? Ooh. It's probably advice that I took when I was younger, and it would literally be trusting God. Trusting God. And to add that to my young self and to anybody, get to know God for yourself. Not what your parents say, not what a preacher says, not somebody else's interpretation. You go read what has been written and get to know God for yourself. Because once you've got that, it's just literally you sorted. You'll read it one, you'll read it as a younger self, or as your younger self, you'll read it again in your teenage years, it'll mean something slightly different, but it'll still be relevant. Once you've got that manual, once you've got that that wisdom, it'll take you wherever you need to go. And it will, it will secure you, it will keep you, it'll protect you mentally, spiritually, the lot. So to my younger self and to my children and to anyone, know God for you. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Thank you for that. And um, I think us having, you know, uh, you on the show as well, when you think of all our paths, you know, crossing as well, um, one, it happened for a reason. And two, it was destined for us to interconnect even on this virtual platform. Um, I'm really, really, you've made my weekend. I'm not gonna lie, I'm not gonna lie to you, Daniel. I really, really, really do appreciate it. And um, we're definitely gonna do a part two because there's a lot more we need to delve deeper and you know, speak about. I yeah, I'll be here, man. Come on, I'll be here. I've really enjoyed it. It's uh, not something that I'd normally see myself doing. 
Um, like I said, technology-wise, I'm not the best, but you guys have made it nice and slick and professional. Um, <laughs> Thank no, you. No, we have really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, keep up the good work, guys. Maybe after we've had this conversation, I've loved it as well. What do you wish more men talked about, Julian? Life. Life as in real emotions, as in real destiny of where they really want to get to, um, and real support for one another. Less of, I love cars, but less of cars, less of football, because it is what it is. It's like one team got to win, one team got to lose. But in reality, how do we really feel? What, what are we really feeling? What do we really need help with? Um, and just the realness of life. That's what I'd say. Just be, just be real with one another and talk. I can talk. I'm, I'm very open. My mum my mom said I wear my heart on my sleeve too much. I had to draw it back a bit. Um, but I've always been, after she made me talk from when I was a, a baby, after that, after that point, I can talk and talk openly. Um, but yeah, I think for more men, literally just to open up, talk, this is the reality of how I feel. It is what it is, good, bad, or indifferent, but this is the reality of me. Help, and if I can help you, you help me too. Wonderful. I mean, thank, well, thank you for being so open, honest, and real with us and having this wonderful conversation. It's definitely made my day, my weekend as well, and inspired me to be a father even more. You guys are putting yeah. me under pressure. <laughs> all is time, all, all is good time, all it's is coming. good time. Yeah, yeah, I'm in no rush, but... Do uh, not rush anything. No, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, you guys make fatherhood look good. Uh, really, uh, it's, it's, it's always wonderful to hear about some of these experiences you're having, and it expands the thought of what having a family is like and yeah not i thank you so much for giving up your time and being with us today and encouraging so many people to really examine what their foundation is and what helps give them direction and to find this constant in their life uh, it's been god for you i think for me and ray as well in foundation terms because when we were young that's what we got given but find something or someone at least we hope. With that said, gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. I was just going to add, um, because there's a quote that Jim, Jim Rohn says, um, there's you know, something along the lines of, take care of your body and your mind, because it's the only place you have to live. You know, wherever you're, you know, how, no matter how free your mind is, your body and like where you want to go to, your body will follow. So, yeah. And what you were obviously saying today is, you know, evidence of that, you know, even when you are going through all the consultations of all the different doctors, you've come through that. So, yeah, you know, I'm just honoured to speak to you, build a relationship with you and, yeah, looking forward to more talks and seeing you in person and doing more things. And more importantly, having you come with us on our events as well. I'm here for you, bros. That's what brothers are here for. <laughs> Love it. Hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed creating. Don't forget to follow, like, share, and connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. 
Subscribe to our latest episode and listen to any you missed. And tune in next episode. Take care.